Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Uh, this morning we're going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. Philippians 4, starting in verse 2. That's in the New Testament. If you flip your Bible open, you will probably land somewhere in, in around uh, the book of Psalms, and it is going to be to the right quite a bit into the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to read along with us, um, which we're a big fan of, uh, of people reading the Bible, we have Bibles kind of spread out uh, under the chairs around you. Find one, tap on your neighbor, take your neighbor's Bible, whatever it takes, as long as we're reading the Bible together. But we are in our fifth, fifth installment of the series that, uh, that Marla just talked about. Um, it's called He Gave, We Give. And the, the crux of this, the big idea is that those of us who call ourselves Christians have been so richly blessed in our life, whether if we lived in this country, we've been financially blessed, but we have, if we have received God's grace, that it should compel us to do something with it. That it's not just that, that we would just be a pond or, or just a lake where we would receive God's blessings, but that we would be uh, something we would allow those blessings to flow out of us into our community, um, into our church, into our community, into our workplace, into our family, um, everywhere. And uh, this morning, by way of, uh, I guess, just of just in case you miss something, you fall asleep, something, today is all about joy. So if you, and I just say joy, and you for some reason have a scowl on your face, this message is actually just for you, just so you know. So it's about joy, and I've been, you know what, I've had a lot going on in my life over the last, really the last month, and there, I've had ample opportunities for my joy to be robbed, but by, but by the grace of God, my joy, is com- my, my joy is complete this morning, amen? Is your joy complete? If it's not complete, I hope that it is, uh, that this message would help you and would equip you. Um, I, I'm, I'm somewhat of a, of a tech guy, not as much as probably some of you, but, but I like technology, and specifically, I like social media. Some of you don't like social media, and you're just going to have to bear through this, but some of you do. And social media, one of the, one of the interesting things I've found about social media, and this is not necessarily Pinterest, because really the, the best, venture, the best uh, thing that you can get from Pinterest is like how to bake a cake or, you know, make a casserole or like chicken, right? Is that, is that right, ladies? Maybe decorations? I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about other ways of social media, whether it's like Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. Is there anything else I forgot? I don't know. Those are, those are all different ways of, uh, of connecting with each other socially. And one of the most interesting things I found specifically about Facebook is the idea is that you have instant access into someone's life. So much so that you don't really want instant access into everybody's life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like sometimes people just put stuff on Facebook and it make you scratch your head and thinking, do you realize that you have a bunch of people seeing your business right now and your business needs to stay at home, it don't need to be in my home. I see that all the time. Like we have instant access like right now. It's not necessarily reality, but it's it's the portrayed reality, whatever they put out there, if you track with that. And it's just so interesting to me. And like I go through and actually doing kind of some research for this message, I was really blown away at what I'm kind of seeing about people's Facebook status, you know, all these kinds of things. There was, there was somebody who put on Facebook, you know, that they're, they're, they're addicted to, to – 
chili cheese Fritos. Have you ever had chili cheese Fritos? And it was like, chili cheese Fritos are so addictive. And, and it was like a confessional. It says, I have a problem. Um, wait a minute. That was actually my favorite update. Never mind. But uh, never mind that one. But, uh, but I look at all these different things about, you know, status updates. But now they have these, these little, I don't really use them. And they're actually, to me, it's kind of weird, these little emoticons. Or emoticons, am I saying that right? And now, we've gotten so lazy as a society, now you can just like, you can hit whatever, you can hit two buttons and you can make a smiley face, a sad face, a grin, crying, tears, nervousness, worry, anxiety. You have all these emoticons to where now we've gotten so lazy, now I allow you to know what I feel like right now. And it's so weird, I literally had to do some research because I'm absolutely clueless on these things. Um... Here's some emoticons. There, there's happy, which that's, you know, that's just a smiley face. That's no big deal. That's very, very predictable. Sad face, right? There's, there's some that, that let everybody know that we're really, really up and really, really down. Then there's like somebody who's really, really happy. And this is not just a smiley face. This is a smiley face with teeth, you know, and that says everything. You know, and now, oh, it's with teeth. Oh, Zach, he's really, really happy. She's really, really happy. There's some for fear, disappointment. Dizziness? How weird is that? Like this little circle smiley face thing with dizziness. And there's even one for triumph. Doesn't that make you feel good? I don't know. It's just so weird to me. But yet I'll go through and and I'm not like I'm not one of those people who just like flies under the radar and like checks out everybody's Facebook thing because to be honest with you, I don't care. But one of the things that I have noticed, and I'm kind of studying for this message, is how some people are like up and down and up and down, and we're smiley-faced, and I'm feeling excited. I'm top of the world. Five minutes later, I'm so devastated. You know, I'm, I'm like feeling so good. I'm so fulfilled. And then three seconds later, it's like, I'm so disappointed. I'm like, what in the world happened? What in the world happened? One of the, one of the great things I found with the Word of God is, we don't have to live on an emotional status. We don't have to. We don't have to live on this emotional status, and we don't have to have like the roller coaster of, of emotions. I feel so excited. And, oh, I'm disappointed. Oh, my dog died. I just got a new dog. You know, and all these crazy things. It's like so many times I see in our society, maybe you see the same thing. It's like people are just like on this roller coaster in their life. And yet the Word of God maps out a way for us to not live on that roller coaster. Who's sick of that roller coaster? By way of just just public, just put it out there. I'm sick of that roller coaster. I'm sick of it. And yet the Bible uses a little bit different word. It doesn't use roller coaster. It doesn't say Six Flag. It doesn't say Disney. It doesn't say any of those things. It uses words like rejoice. It uses words like praise. And it uses another word called joy. Now, as we jump into God's Word, I'll give you just a, a little bit of background into this. We're going to talk a lot about joy, but joy is not a matter of your happiness. Joy, you can be joyful no matter what circumstance. As a matter of fact, the, the author of this book is in jail when he writes this, this, this letter, really, to the church of Philippi. It's Philippians. He's, he's in jail, and he's kind of dealing with some issues. And as he's kind of writing this letter, it's very personal. He writes it to the church, and he's trying to help them. And despite his circumstances, he's joyful. As a matter of fact, if you, if you want to know more about 
rejoicing or joy, I would say read this this small book. There's only four chapters to this this book or letter. It's not very big, but it talks a lot about joy in all circumstances. So here we go, starting in verse 2. Jumping right in. I pled with Yodia, and I pled with Santuka to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So we see within this church, there's some issues. We all have some issues, right? We all have issues. Can we be honest? We all have issues. And we see these two people, they've got some issues with each other, but they're both Christian women. They're Christian women who had been doing God's work, had been, had been doing ministry and partnering in, in ministry, and now Paul goes in and he's kind of interfering in the situation. He knows them personally, and he's basically he's pleading with them. That's a, that's a strong word. He's pleading with them. He says, hey, come on. We were partners in the gospel. We were, we were going a direction. We were doing this together. Now, all of a sudden, we're not moving in the same direction. Now, we're just kind of at war with each other. He says, now, we don't even know for sure what the issue is, but we know that there are Christian women. We know that they, were, that they were partners in the gospel, that they had been doing gospel work, that Paul counted on them, that Paul loved them, and he's trying to lovingly correct them and to get them um, back in fellowship with each other and with the Lord. Then it says in verse 3, Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, this, this also lets us know a little bit more what he's talking about. This idea of a yoke fellow was a term that the early church would use. And if you were a, a yoke fellow, that means that we were working together. That it wasn't, it wasn't you know, this, this Christian church over here is doing this church, and this, this church over here is doing this thing, and, and this church is doing this thing, and I've got this, this small group doing this thing, and I've got this age group people doing this thing, and, and I've got this type of people who dress this way. Everybody, if you were a follower of Jesus, you were a yoke fellow. We could have differences. The, the differences were plenty. But we were yoke fellows. Church, if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a yoke fellow. Fellow. As a matter of fact, I want you to look at the person next to you. You've never used this word before, and you're, you're about to, right? I want you to look at the person next to you and say, you're a yoke fellow. You're a yoke fellow. That was kind of a weak yoke fellow. Come on. This is, an, this is a thing we should be joyful about. We are yoke fellows through the cause of Christ. Jesus, he, he has saved us. He has equipped Christians to do gospel ministry work. And, and for us as a church, right here in Dublin and Lawrence County, and this term, this was a term of endearment of saying, hey, we're in this together. We, we have locked arms for the gospel mission. We're in this together. So Paulus, he's, he's talking about uh, these two ladies, and he's saying, hey, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. But then what does it say at the end of that verse? whose names are written in the book of life. That should cause joy to spring up in a Christian's heart just by me uttering those words. 
That if you're a follower of Jesus, no matter what you've done, no matter what you will continue to do, really no matter where you are right now in your relationship with God, if you've had a moment of salvation, you've accepted Christ in a personal way, you have your name written in the book of life. Can we say amen to that? Yes, we can clap to that, please. We should be excited about such things. Good grief, we're talking about joy. You're a hard crowd. What he's echoing here is, or what he's speaking into is something that John would echo in Revelation 3. And this is Revelation 3, 5. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. And this is what God's Word says. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. So you're sealed, baby. You're sealed. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you have accepted him in a personal way, I'm not talking about if you've just visited a church or you've been even involved in a church and you've served in a church or served with churches. I'm talking about people who have, who have made the choice to accept Jesus Christ. You are a yoke fellow and your name is written in the book of life. There's much to, much to be rejoicing about with that. This idea that, that me, from, from Bodunk, Illinois... That there was that time and that day that I received Jesus and I went from, from cast away from God, but I made a conscious choice to receive Him and then all of a sudden, now my name is written in the book of life. That's a great thing. Paul is going back and he uses this, this idea of the book of life and this, this yoke fellow and the people who have served in the church. And he's, he's using all this, but you know what? We're getting into a verse right now in verse 4. This is a verse you've heard of before. But look at this verse in the context of which it was written. Verse 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. See, we see this on t-shirts. You could go to the Christian bookstore. You're going to see this on a plaque or a poster and those kinds of things. But now look at it in its broader context. These two ladies, Yodia and Suntuka, they're having this disagreement. And Paul, he says, yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names or in the book of life. And then he goes through, and we have a command in verse 4 to rejoice in the Lord always. You see, things even within the church, when people are, when, when we're in the church, and even when things seem like they're going right, sometimes they, they, they start to drift apart. And we have to understand, and we have to be brought back into, into fellowship with one another and say, hey, you need to be commanded to rejoice. Because he who brought you together is much stronger than the thing that's trying to separate us. Amen? And now we're, we're commanded, rejoice in the Lord always. Let's say this together. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I say it again, rejoice. There's power in that. In its, in its context, we see that there's some issues right here with these, this group of people. They had been doing gospel work. They'd been doing the right thing, I would say. And now all of a sudden, they're not doing the right thing. And Paul brings them back, and he, say, he brings them back. He says, hey, we, we locked arms for the gospel. We were doing this thing. And he says, and after all, our, your name is written in the book of life. You should be rejoicing about this. And then he goes through, 
And he lovingly scolds him and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Even when things don't go well for you, even, even when your health declines, even when you go through job loss and you have issues with your kids and all of these things and, and, and trying to care for aging parents, we can rejoice. Because joy is not happiness. Happiness depends on our circumstance. Joy is everlasting. Amen. That was a good place for an amen. You missed it. Joy is not happiness. You see, happiness, happiness is this. Today's payday. Today's payday. I'm going to the bank and I cash the check. And I have whatever amount of money that you have to spend or you do those things. That's happiness. But then after that paycheck's gone, well, when does happiness come? Next payday. Happiness is this. I can't wait for this day to happen. I can't wait to go out on this date. I can't wait to have this. I can't wait to go on vacation. But then as soon as you go on vacation and you come back, you have a vacation hangover. Right? And then you're off vacation and then you're like, oh my goodness. Well, start looking forward to vacation again. Only one year or two years, whatever your cycle for vacation is. But yet, that is what happiness is. But we can have joy. Joy comes from the Lord. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's number two on the list from Galatians 5. We can have joy. We're commanded. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. So he doesn't just say it once. He wants to drive it home to us. Knowing, of, knowing our circumstance. Knowing that we would go through hard times. We would have difficult times. And I'll be honest with you. Christmas, in the Christmas season, this is so poignant of a message. This idea of being joyful. Christmas to me, for a long, long time. For really, for years and years and years. Has been a time where I feel like my joy has been robbed the most. Because of, of past hurts and different things that have happened in my childhood and all of the concerns. And really, even ministry is very difficult at Christmas because we, rather than today, most of the time we're away from our family. But my joy doesn't come from, and I'm learning this, I want you to learn this. My joy doesn't come from my happiness that, oh, now everybody's together and now I have all these things. Joy comes from the Lord. And though it could be difficult, and though the Christmas season is it's proven to be difficult. Don't be stifled in your joy because you're trying to live a life of happiness. Because happiness fades. Happiness goes away. Happiness is fleeting. But joy is everlasting. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. See, I love this in verse 5. He tells us, let your, right after rejoice. So, so let's, not, let's not have all our eyes on all that's going around. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. There's something bigger. There's something better. Your name is written in the book of life. You're commanded to rejoice. And joy is, is, is everlasting. And happiness is fleeting. And he says, let your gentleness, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness. Now, why would that be there? Because if you're on a life quest for happiness, one of the things that you will do on a quest for happiness is walk over other people. 
Because if you're on a quest for happiness, that has everything to do with you. And it's based off selfish motives. And I love this in verse 5. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Your gentleness based in humility before God because we're rejoicing in the Lord. I'm not rejoicing in my circumstance. I'm not rejoicing in my situation. I'm certainly not rejoicing in my sin. You can't do such things. And I'm not living for momentary happiness. I'm living for everlasting joy that God offers to us. So let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, as it says in verse 6, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Look at the timing of this. Look in the context of this verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. He tells us to be gentle. But then he says the Lord is near. And then right after that, it gives us the prescription when we go through hard times to keep our joy maintained. So we're not living on that roller coaster. And he tells us very specifically, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Why would it say that? Why, why would God's word even say that to us? Because he knows that we're going to go through difficult times. And he's telling us you don't have to live in your circumstance. You don't have to live in your situation. There is hope for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. There's hope. And he says, do not be anxious about anything. What I think of like this is I think about a child. When I think about, when I think about an infant. We're called to have a childlike faith, right? You've heard that before? Not a childish faith. That's completely different. A childlike faith. Think about that in this context. He tells us, specifically, he says, do not be anxious about anything. You know what? An infant doesn't worry, do they? You know what an infant's concerned about? I'm going to break it down for you. It's really deep, okay? Eating. When they want to eat. Not on your schedule, theirs. Um, hugs, occasionally. Depends on the child. Sleeping. Am I going too fast for you? Are you guys good on this? Sleeping, right? And, and, then, and then they want, uh, they want their pants changed when they load them up. Okay, that's what they really want. When they mess their pants, what their biggest concern is, hey, something just happened in my pants right now, and I need you to take care of it. That's what an infant, they don't worry about anything. It's like they just do their thing. They're just infants, and we're called to have a childlike faith and not worry about every other thing. But yet we go through our life, and the greater responsibility that you take on, the more that your joy is at risk. That happens. Think about your life. Think about if you've raised children, you have infants. They, I've already mapped that out, what they're concerned about, right? But then all of a sudden, you see a child in kindergarten. They really don't have any care in the world. They have like the kindergarten play, you know, finger paint, doing minor things, those kinds of, right? Uh, am I clueless on this? I've raised two kids. I had to kind of know what kindergarten is. They kind of go through this stuff, and it's very simple. They don't have a care in the world. Did you, did, how was school today? I loved it. It was awesome. But then third grade hits. They start learning math facts. Things get a little bit more difficult. How was school today? Uh, it was good, but it was kind of hard, right? And then all of a sudden, you get, they, they're taking on a little bit of responsibility there, and you're getting a little bit deeper in school, and then, and then, and then their circumstance kind of is weighing on them, and then all of a sudden, they get to be teenagers. They've taken some responsibility in the home. You've given them, you've, you've required more 
uh, responsibility of them in their schoolwork, and accountability, rather. And now they're, they're feeling a little bit of that pressure. Now they get into high school, and it's kind of, now I've got midterms, now I've got finals, now I've got my circumstance, now I've got all these issues. Then you get out of school, and then you think, I'm out of school, I'm free, until you realize you have to eat, and then you got to get a job, or you go to college, then you got all these things happening, then you get married, you go through your wedding day, and everything's great, and then you think, oh, my wedding day, and then about day two, you realize, man, marriage is hard, you know? It's like, the more responsibility you have, and if you're a business owner, then you start feeling the burden of the people who, you, who, who work for you, or who work with you. If you're a pastor, I have to tell you, or you, you have a pastor's heart, you, you feel the burdens of the people. The, the greater responsibility you, that you take on, you have the more uh, of risk that you have uh, of, of having your joy diminished or taken away. And yet, a child doesn't worry. We're called to have a childlike faith. You see, a childlike faith says, you know what? My dad's got it. I, I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to have anxiety. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, I'm giving my my prayers to God. I'm just giving it to my Heavenly Father. I'm just giving it to God. Doesn't mean that, that I'm immune to, to problems and issues, but I'm giving it to God. I'm not, I'm not dwelling on what's going on. I'm giving it to God. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm doing. See, that's what a child does. A child knows I can't fix everything, and they lift their arms up to mom and dad, don't they? Because they know, and they trust you, and they think, I'm lifting my hands to you. Please help me in this difficult situation. You see, a childish faith, a childish faith, unfortunately, this is what we also see in churches. A childish faith is now it's not childlike. They're not trusting their parents. Now a childish faith, the, the end result of that is the faith gets twisted. And then it starts to be all about them. A childish faith, it's twisted, it's all about them. And then when you don't hear your song played at church, then you're talking to somebody about it. Or, or somebody doesn't say hi to you at church, and then all of a sudden, I can't believe they didn't say hi to me at church. And now, you see, that's a childish faith, because then you're making it. It's not about the Lord. It's not about, it's not about Abba Father. It's not about the Heavenly Father, is it? It's about you. Same thing happens. You know, we go through, and you have something really clever to say, and you put it on Facebook, or you put it on Twitter, and I can't believe nobody retweeted my tweet, you know, and you go through all these things, and man, that was like, that was really, really good. Why didn't somebody share my status on Facebook? That was really, really good. And what we're doing is we're just saying, well, it's just all about us. It's just all about us. And that's a childish faith. Because kids do tend to be very selfish, don't they? And yet we're called to have a childlike faith and just not to being immune to problems, but just throwing our hands up to the Heavenly Father and saying, God, I can't fix this. I know you can. And you know what he sends in return? Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. When we do that, he just pours a spirit of joy over us. And our, our, our cup of joy just overflows in our life. And we're complete in Him. Because we're not just living for us. We're living for Him. These two ladies, I believe, they're, they're kind of going, they're, they're kind of at each other, and we don't really know for sure about Clement in verse 3. We don't know kind of his story. Uh, not really spoken about a lot in the New Testament. 
But one thing we do know about these two ladies is we know they're kind of, they used to be doing gospel ministry. They used to be going in the right direction. They used to be, you know, living out the Christian message. Then something happened. And then now they've started to go inward. And now it's about themselves. And now they're clashing instead of throwing their hands up and saying, God, take this. God, take this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And it says in verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the result, when you're going through a circumstance, you're going through something, you're wrestling with something. And the result is, when we rejoice in the Lord, and we don't sit and just dwell in the issue, the result is, Verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all, somebody say all, all understanding, means you're not going to be able to connect all the dots. It's from the Lord. It's not just of you. You just can't logic this thing out. It's, It's a matter of the Lord. That the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds. I love that. Because if we're, we're in a steady state of prayer and just rejoicing to the Lord and say, you know what, yeah, things aren't going perfectly right now, but I'm rejoicing in the Lord because I know God's done a lot for me. He has given a lot for me. He has done things for me. He saved me. My name is written in the book of life. All of these other things, and I can rejoice in Him. And now, all of a sudden, now He has, the peace of God has surrounded me, and now it's protecting my heart and my mind. When the world says something about me that I know is not true, now I've got this shield of faith. I've got this peace of God which transcends all understanding, and now it guards my heart and mind. That's how you stay in joy. That's how you do it. You rejoice. I'll illustrate it this way. Have you ever noticed when, when some people go through and, and you, you see certain people who, who struggle with things and maybe they've just, they just, they always go through things and maybe they tend to be very negative people and like when, you, when they come up to you, um, they don't have to necessarily say anything but you know that, that they've got one of these, right? And like everywhere they go, like they come up to you and they could say anything, but all you see is what? Everybody. The problem. All you see is the problem. And like you can't, all it is, it's the problem. And hey, I've got this and it's my problem. And whatever your problem may be, we all have problems. What's your problem? I'm not trying to pick a fight and it sounds like I am. But what is it that you struggle with? And I just wonder, if you're, if you're living a joyless life, see, what happens is, everywhere you go, Christian, all they see is your problem. That's it. That's it. I probably didn't have to tell you that, though, did I? But, you know, oftentimes, what we don't understand and what we don't, what we don't see is what it looks like from the other side. You see, when Christians, when they, when they live a joyless life, that's not very compelling to unsaved people. They're like, I feel the same way. Why would I want Jesus? I feel the exact same way. Because all they see is your problem. You see, we all have problems. We do. I'm going to turn it around a little bit, make it personal for me. You see, when I get caught up in the moment and I, when I struggle with things, I kind of have a choice. 
I kind of have a choice. You see, I can sit and I can just look at my problem. And I'm looking at my problem right now and I don't see any of you. None of you. All I see is my problem. So my perception is my problem. I can't see around my problem. All I see is my problem. And all of a sudden, if you're in this joyless state and all you see is your problem, then you start feeling anxiety. Then you start feeling fear. Then, you, then you're so caught up in worry that you actually disconnect from other people because all you see is your problem. You see, what the Lord offers is so much bigger than happiness. You see, this is, this is happiness living. I've got a problem. Oh, good, the problem's gone. It's not really gone. You're just choosing not to look at it. But joy looks like this. Jeremy, if I could have your help. Stand right there. You're brave. I like your sweatshirt. We have a choice as Christians. You, you have this choice. If you're not walking with Christ, you don't have a choice. You, you're, based to, you're, you're, you're on the roller coaster of happiness and a quest for happiness. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a choice. You see, you, you can live with your problem and it can stay right here and you can, you can void out all of God's activity or you can do this. You see, do me a favor, walk backwards right down the middle aisle. Stop right there. Okay. See, I can still see my problem. I'm not ignoring my problem, but I can see other things outside of my problem. You track with that? Scoot back all the way. Keep going. Good. See, I can still see my... I'm not ignoring my problem. I can still see my problem, but the great thing is I can have joy because I see all of the other things that God is doing in my life and that He's doing in your lives and in your lives. But you see, I can choose to sit and look at that problem and just live in that reality and it's all about poor, poor, pitiful me. But I can sit back and say, you know what? I can rejoice in the Lord. I can rejoice in the Lord because my name is written in the book of life. I'm not ignoring my problem. I see my problem. But you know what? In the grand scheme of things, my problem is not very big compared to all the other activity that God's doing because my name's written in the book of life. My name's written in the book of life. Thank you, Jeremy. Please give Jeremy a round of applause. See, that's, that's our reality. That's what we can do. We can stay looking at our problem, make it all about us, and it's, it's all selfish-based. Or we can take some steps to recover joy in our life. There's eight things that are going to be on the screen. Not all at the same time. I just want to give you some practical steps to recover joy in your life. Recover joy. We all have problems, okay? I don't care if you, if you sit in those seats or if you stand on this platform. We all have problems. But the Lord is near. We can rejoice in Him. So here's some steps to recover joy. First thing is this, you have to go to God's Word. You have to go to God's Word, and for you, you may be a person who, who you, 
you just need to start small, and I would say just get a, a daily devotional. We can put daily devotionals. I can, I can link you to daily devotionals that would be encouraging and uplifting to you. But you have to take in Scripture. You have to. Scripture is absolute truth. I told you that earlier. We believe it. That's, that's one of the foundational truths of this church. And for us, we, we, we have to be able to go to something that is proven to be true over time, that it is divine, that it is absolute truth, that it's God's Word. And we have to take in that Scripture. We have to, whether it's a devotional, some of you are a little deeper than that. And you, you sit back and you say, you know what, I have a hunger for something a little bit deeper. I, I need something a little bit more than a devotional. I can put you on a track, a Bible reading track, where you would feel encouraged. First thing, I would say this, if, if that's you, you want to go a little bit deeper than just a devotional route, I would say this, you need to buy a concordance and you need to look up the word joy and read all the scriptures that, that God has put in his word about joy. Very simple. And meditate on some scripture. But you have to take that scripture in. You have to. You have to. As much as the world throws at us and as many problems as we have, we have to go to something that is proven to be right and true. Amen? Second on the list is this. You need to clear some noise. You need to clear some noise. There, there are things in your life you don't have to be involved with. There, really. You, you don't have to be involved with You choose to be, but you, you don't have to be. You need to clear the noise. Many people, they don't feel the joy of the Lord which is our strength, as the Word says, the reason why they don't feel that is because even when they pray, they pray and just, uh, just it's like it's noise everywhere. I'm not talking about literal noise. Sometimes it is. But sometimes it's just a matter of we need to unplug from, from people. We need to unplug from things. We just need to have a little soul detox and just get back and spend some time with Jesus, okay? That's what we need. And it's, we recover our joy when we do that. But you need to clear the noise because we have a world that's just so full. You could fill your life with just meaningless things. And it's so easy. You need to clear the noise. Maybe get away. Maybe for you, it's just a matter of going for a walk every day. And just kind of going back and reflecting and say, you know what, my name is written in the book of life. Maybe picking one of the verses that I just told you about. Of just searching out a verse on the topic of joy and just meditating on that as you go for a walk. And do so just in the calmness of, uh, of whatever it is, however it is that, that you experience God the best. But you need to clear the noise. The next one is not the same. The next one's different. This is, this is the physical things that you, have, that you have put or you allow to be put uh, in your life. For instance... Um, the idea of removing the clutter. Clutter is this. You don't have to coach just because your kids are in a sport. That's clutter. That's not necessary. You don't have to be involved in everybody else's business. You don't have to fix everybody else's issues. Because if you step in and you fix all their issues, what you're doing is you're creating a system where they're going to go to you to fix their issues instead of going to the Father, of which we're told to in Philippians 4.6. Right? Y'all track with that? Recovering joy. But we have to, that's, that's our, our duty is removing that clutter. We, we put ourselves in situations where we take other people's junk and we don't need to. And we need to clear the noise and we need to receive Scripture. And I would say, you, number four, is you need to pray like you mean it. 
I'm not just talking about a little prayer just to, you know, if you're going through something, you should be on your knees before God. Before you would call somebody else to, to get support, go to the giver of life. The giver of truth. The author and perfecter of our faith. That's what it says in Hebrews 12, 2. We need to, to go to the Lord. Instead of we call other people to gain support, which is basically saying, hey, could you pacify my needs? Could you pacify my needs? I need to be happy right now. I need to be happy right now. Go to the Lord. Then, once you're with the Lord, then you can go talk to other people. But the first place you should go is to Almighty God. Next screen. There are things in your life that you have done wrong. You need to repent of those things. That's turning away from, from evil and sin. You have, to, you have to repent. You have to make it a lifestyle of repentance. This isn't just a matter of, you know what, yeah, I made a mistake about 10 years ago. I remember, yeah, 10, 10 years ago, man, I really said something I shouldn't have. And I've, just, I've made a decision on that day 10 years ago that I would never do it again. And I haven't done it, well, maybe five times since then. For us, repentance as a lifestyle, going before God and say, even the things that we don't necessarily, that we know that, that have been an offense to God, but that we would go before God and say, God, I just, I apologize. I want to turn away from that. I don't want any part of that. If we don't have a steady state of repentance, and I can tell you this from my personal life, you will have a joyless life. You'll have a joyless life. And you'll start feeling more distant from God. You need to serve other people. To make sure that it's not just about us. He gave, we give. He gives joy, we can impart that joy to other people. He gave, we give. That's what we do. We serve other people. Marla mapped it out perfectly earlier and she explained the list opportunities to, to love and serve people in the community there are many opportunities here in the church we have needs right here in the church right now in the church and we need to serve other people so it doesn't just become a basis of my happiness and my selfishness we need to rest often i realize this one's probably difficult and you're thinking duh I know I need to rest. But I would say this. If it's not a priority to you, it's not going to be a priority to anyone else either. You have to set that priority and say, you know what? I love you, and I'll talk to you in two days. Because I, I, just, I, need, I, need, some, I need some soul restoration time. And you need just to rest before the Lord and just have some Sabbath time with Jesus. And then... The last one is just make some time for fun. Just make some time for fun. Some of you are scheduled people like me. You have to schedule fun to make it fun. That's okay. Just have some fun. If, if you make it work, uh, work's not fun usually. It works work. But make it fun. And bring it into your house. Live it out. Explain to your kids, explain to your spouse, explain to the people you work with the hope that you have. See, I run across this verse and the band can come up. I want to share this verse with you. I'm going to read the first part and then the last part is going to be on the screen. 
Hebrews 12.2 says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You know, as I studied this out, and I really I wrestled with this idea, and like, what joy is the author of Hebrews talking about? Who, who it's, we're talking about Christ, and he's, the, he's the, the author and the perfecter of our faith. What, what joy was set before him? And I've, as I've studied this out, what I've realized is, that's our joy. That's our joy. So when Jesus went to the cross, he did so so that we would not just just that we would just work ourselves to the bone. He did so so that we would have joy because joy is everlasting. Joy is sustaining and happiness is fleeting.